This is the second chapter of Percy Jackson, The Titan's Curse. The vice principal gets a missile launcher. I didn't know what kind of monster Dr. Thorne was, but he was fast. Maybe I could defend myself if I got my shield activated. All that would take was a touch to my wristwatch. But defending the D'Angelo kids was another matter. I needed help, and there was only one way I could think to get it. I closed my eyes. What are you doing, Jackson? hissed Dr. Thorne. Keep moving. I opened my eyes and kept shuffling forward. It's my shoulder, I lied, trying to sound miserable, which wasn't that hard. It burns. Pah! My poison causes pain. It will not kill you. Thorne herded us outside. I try to concentrate. I picture Grover's face. I focus on my feelings of fear and danger. Last summer, Grover had created an empathy link between us. He sent me visions in my dreams to let me know that he was in trouble. As far as I knew, we were still linked. But I'd never tried to contact Grover before. I didn't even know if it would work while Grover was awake. Hey, Grover, I thought. Thorne's kidnapping us. He's a poisonous, spike-throwing maniac. Help! Thorne marched us into the woods. We took a snowy path, dimly lit by old-fashioned lamplights. My shoulder ached. The wind blowing through my ripped clothes was so cold that I felt like a persicle. There's a clearing ahead, Dr. Thorne said. We will summon our ride. What ride? Bianca demanded. Where are you taking us? Science, you insufferable girl. Don't talk to my sister that way, Nico said, his voice quivering. But I was impressed that he had the guts to say anything at all. Dr. Thorne made a growling sound that definitely wasn't human. It made the hair stand up on the back of my neck, but I forced myself to keep walking and pretend I was being a good little captive. Meanwhile, I projected my thoughts like crazy, anything to grip Grover's attention. Grover, apples, tin cans, get your furry goat behind out here and bring some heavily armed friends. Ha, Dr. Thorne said. The woods had opened up. We reached a cliff overlooking the sea. At least, I sensed the sea was down there, hundreds of feet below. I could hear the waves churning and the smell of cold, salty froth. But all I could see was the mist and darkness. Dr. Thorne pushed us towards the edge. I stumbled and Bianca caught me. Thanks, I murmured. What is he? She whispered. How do we fight him? I, I'm working on it. I'm scared, Nico mumbled. He was fiddling with something. A little metal toy soldier of some kind. Stop talking, Dr. Thorne said. Face me. We turned. Dr. Thorne's two-toned eyes glittered hungrily. He pulled something from under his coat. At first, I thought it was a switchblade, but it was only a phone. He pressed the side button and said, The package, it is ready to deliver. There was a garbled reply, and I realized Thorne was in a walkie-talkie mode. This seemed way too modern and creepy. A monster using a mobile phone. I glanced behind me, wondering how far the drop was. Dr. Thorne laughed. By all means, son of Poseidon, jump. There is the sea. Save yourself. What did he call you? Bianca muttered. I'll, I'll explain later. I said, you ha do you have a plan, right? Grover, I thought desperately. Come to me. Maybe I could get both the D'Angelos to jump with me into the ocean. If we survived the fall, I could use the water to protect us. I'd done things like this before. If my dad was in a good mood and listening, he might help us. Maybe. I'd kill you before you even reach the water, Dr. Thorne said, as if reading my thoughts. You do not realize who I am, do you? A flicker of movement behind him and another missile whirled so closely to me that it nicked my ear. Something had sprung up behind Dr. Thorne, like a catapult, but more flexible, almost like a tail. Unfortunately, Thorne said, you are wanted alive, if possible. Otherwise, you would already be dead. 
Who wants us? Bianca demanded. Because if you think you'll get a ransom, you're wrong. We don't have any family. Nico and I. Her voice broke a little. We've got no one but each other. Aw, Dr. Thorne said. Not to worry, little brats. You will be meeting my employer soon enough. Then you will have a brand new family. Luke, I said. You work for Luke. Dr. Thorne's mouth twisted with distaste when I said the name of my old enemy, a former friend who tried to kill me several times. You have no idea what is happening, Perseus Jackson. I will let the general enlighten you. You're going to do him a great service tonight. He's looking forward to meeting you. The general, I asked. Then I realized I'd said it with a French accent. I mean, who is the general? Thorne looked towards the horizon. Ah, here we are. Your transportation. I turned and saw light in the distance, a searchlight over the sea. Then I heard the chopping of helicopter blades getting louder and closer. Where are you taking us? Nico said. You should be honored, my boy. You will have the opportunity to join a great army, just like that silly game you play with your cards and dolls. They are not dolls, they are figurines. And you can take your army and... Now, now, Dr. Thorne warned. You will change your mind after joining us, my boy. And if you do not... Well, there are other uses for half-bloods. We have many monstrous mouths to feed. The great stirring is underway. The great what? I asked. Anything to keep him talking while I try to figure out a plan. The stirring of monsters, Dr. Thorne smiled evilly. The worst of them, the most powerful, are now waking. Monsters that have not been seen in thousands of years. They will cause death and destruction, the likes of which mortals have never known. And soon we shall have the most important monster of all. The one that shall bring the downfall of Olympus. Okay, Bianca whispered to me. He's completely nuts. We have to jump off the cliff, I told her quietly, into the sea. Oh, super idea. You're completely nuts too. I never got the chance to argue with her because just then an invisible force slammed into me. Looking back on it, Annabeth's move was brilliant. Wearing her cap of invisibility, she plowed into the D'Angelo's in me, knocking us to the ground. For a split second, Dr. Thorne was taken by surprise, so his first volley of missiles zipped harmlessly over our heads. This gave Talia and Grover a chance to advance from behind, Talia wielding her magic shield, Aegis. If you've never seen Talia run into battle, you have never been truly frightened. She uses a huge spear that expands from this collapsible mace canister she carries in her pocket. But this is not the scary part. Her shield is modeled after the one her dad uses, also called Aegis, a gift from Athena. The shield has the head of a gorgon, Medusa, modeled into the bronze. And even though it won't turn you into stone, it is so horrible, most people will panic and run at the sight of it. Even Dr. Thorne winced and growled when he saw it. Talia moved in with your spear. For Zeus! I thought Dr. Thorne was a goner. Talia jabbed at his head, but he snarled and swatted the spear aside. His hand changed into an orange paw with enormous claws that sparkled against Talia's shield as he slashed. If it hadn't been for Aegis, Talia would have been sliced to a loaf of bread. As it was, she managed to roll backwards and land on her feet. The sound of the helicopter was getting louder behind me. I didn't dare look. Dr. Thorne launched another volley of missiles at Talia. This time, I could see how he did it. He had a tail, a leathery, scorpion-like tail that bristled with spikes at the tip. The missiles deflected off Aegis, but the force of their impact knocked Talia down. Grover sprang forward. He put his reed pipes to his lips and began to play, a frantic jig that sounded like something pirates would dance to. Grass broke through the snow. Within seconds, rope-thick weeds were wrapping around Dr. Thorne's legs, entangling him. 
Dr. Thorne roared and began to change. He grew larger until he was in his true form. His face still human, but his body that of a huge lion. His leathery, spiky tail whipped deadly thorns in all directions. A manticore, Annabeth said, now visible. Her magic New York Yankees cap had come off when she plowed into us. Who are you people? Bianca D'Angelo demanded. And what is that? A manticore, Nico gasped. He's got 3,000 attack power, plus five saving throws. I didn't know what he was talking about, but I didn't have time to worry about it. The manticore clawed Grover's magic reeds to shreds, then turned towards us with a snarl. Get down! Annabeth pushed the D'Angelo's flat into the snow. At the last second, I remembered my own shield and hit my wristwatch. The metal plating spiraled out into a thick bronze shield. Not a moment too soon. The thorns impacted against it with such force, they dented the metal. A beautiful shield, a gift from my brother, was badly damaged. I wasn't sure it would even stop a second volley. I heard a thwack and a yelp, and Gover landed next to me with a thud. Yield, the monster roared. Never! Talia yelled from across the field. She charged the monster, but... For a second, I thought she would ruin him. And then there was a thunderous noise and a blazing light from behind us. The helicopter appeared out of the mist, hovering just beyond the cliffs. It was a sleek black military-style gunship with attachments on the sides that looked like laser-gilded rockets. The helicopter had to be manned by mortals. But what was it doing here? How could mortals be working with a monster? The searchlights blinded Talia, and the manticore swatted her away with his tail. Her shield flew off into the snow. Her spear flew in another direction. No! I ran out to help her. I parried away a spike just before it would have hit her chest. I raised my sword over us, but I knew it wouldn't be enough. Dr. Thorny laughed. Now, do you see how hopeless it is? Yield, little heroes. We were trapped between a monster and a fully armed helicopter. We had no chance. Then I heard a clear piercing sound, the call of a hunting horn blowing in the woods. The manticore froze. For a moment, no one moved. There was only the swirl of snow and wind and the chopping of helicopter blades. No, Dr. Thorne said. It, it can't be. His sentence was cut short when something shot past me like a streak of moonlight. A glowing silver arrow sprouted from Dr. Thorne's shoulder. He staggered backwards, wailing in agony. Curse you! Thorne yelled. He unleashed his spikes, dozens of them at once, into the woods where the arrows had come from. But just as fast, silvery arrows shot back in reply. It almost looked like the arrows had intercepted the thorns in midair and sliced them in two. But my eyes must have been playing tricks on me. No one, not even Apollo's kids at camp, could shoot with that much accuracy. The manticore pulled the arrow out of his shoulder with a howl of pain. His breathing was heavy. I tried to swipe at him with my sword, but he wasn't as injured as he looked. He dodged my attack and slammed his tail into my shield, knocking me aside. Then the archers came from the woods. They were girls, about a dozen of them. The youngest was maybe 10, the oldest about 14. Like me, they wore very ski parkas and jeans, and they were all armed with bows. They advanced on the manticore with a determined expression. The hunters, Annabeth cried. Next to me, Talia muttered, oh, wonderful. I didn't have a chance to ask what she meant. One of the older archers stepped forward with the, her bow drawn. She was tall, graceful, with coppery-colored hair. Unlike the other girls, she had a silver circlet braided on top of her long, dark hair. She looked like some kind of Persian princess. Permission to kill, milady? I couldn't tell who she was talking to because she kept her eyes on the manticore. The monster wailed. This is not fair! Direct interference is against the ancient laws. Not so, another girl said. 
This one was a little younger than me, maybe 12 or 13. She had auburn hair gathered back in a ponytail and strange eyes, silvery yellow like the moon. Her face was so beautiful it made me catch my breath, but her expression was stern and dangerous. The hunting of all wild beasts is within my space, and you, foul creature, are a wild beast. She looked over to the older girl with a circlet. Zoe, permission granted. The manticore growled. If I cannot have these alive, then I shall have them dead. He lunged at Talia and me, knowing we were weak and dazed. No! Annabeth yelled, and she charged at the monster. Get back, Half-Blood! The girl with the circlet said. Get out of the line of fire! But Annabeth leaped onto the monster's back and drove her knife into its mane. The manticore howled, turning in circles, his tail flailing as Annabeth hung on for dear life. Fire! Zoe ordered. No! I screamed. But the hunters let their arrows fly. The first caught the manticore in the neck. Another hit its chest. The manticore staggered back, wailing, This is not the end, Huntress. You shall pay. And before anyone could react, the monster with Annabeth still on his back leaped over the cliff and tumbled into the darkness. Annabeth! I yelled. I started to run after her, but our enemies weren't done with yet. There was a snap, snap, snap from the helicopter. The sound of gunfire. Most of the hunters scattered as tiny holes appeared in the snow at their feet. But the girl with the auburn hair just looked up calmly at the helicopter. Mortals, she announced, are not allowed to witness my hunt. She thrust out her hand and the helicopter exploded to dust. No, not dust. The black metal dissolved into flocks of birds, ravens, which scattered into the night. The hunters advanced on us. The one called Zoe stopped short when she saw Talia. You, she said with distaste. Zoe Nightshade, Talia's voice trembled with anger. Perfect timing, as usual. Zoe scanned the rest of us. Four half-bloods and a satyr, milady. Yes, the younger girl said. Some of Chiron's campers, I see. Annabeth, I yelled. You could have let us save her. The auburn-haired girl turned towards me. I'm sorry, Percy Jackson, but your friend is beyond help. I tried to struggle to my feet, but a couple of the girls held me down. You are in no condition to be hurling yourself off cliffs, the auburn-haired girl said. Let me go, I demanded. Who do you think you are? Zoe stepped forward as if to smack me. No, the other girl ordered. I sense no disrespect, Zoe. He is simply distraught. He does not understand. The young girl looked at me, her eyes colder and brighter than the winter moon. I am Artemis, she said, goddess of the hunt.